Welcome to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry, hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. And each week we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started and where they see the industry going. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. So on today's episode, episode nine, we sit down with Tim Burnett, who is the vice president of sales of AeroSeal. Uh, Tim walks us through who AeroSeal is, how they go to market and unpacks what makes them significant in the ESCO industry, especially since this topic of indoor air quality becomes more and more prevalent. You'll want to stick around until the end to hear about Tim's advice that he'd give to his 22-year-old self and what he wants his lasting legacy to be. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a five-star review. Now, we really think you're going to enjoy this episode, so let's drop in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Tim Burnett, VP of Sales from AeroSeal. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, of course. I'm glad we're able to carve out some time and make this work. I think when I reached out to you a couple of weeks ago to ask you to come on the show, you were literally in process of moving from Indiana down to Ohio. So I thought uh, in the background there, there would be a bunch of boxes and you'd be uh, still getting settled in. But uh, your background looks pretty good there, I got to say, for someone who just uh, moved into a new house. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's uh, smoke and mirrors, my friend. <laughs> you set up your desk, you set up your office. Uh, everyone's doing Zoom, Teams, yeah. go to meeting. So you want to make sure you can actually be productive in your workspace. And that's this perception. But if you saw some of the other rooms in the basement, you'd see the truth. Yeah, yeah. You got, uh, you got your priorities in order. So that's, that's good. Well, again, thanks for, uh, thanks for making the time here. So uh, for the people out there, for our listeners out there who don't know who you are, Tim, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Absolutely. Um, well, originally I went to school of all things to study music and wanted to be a musician, love music, still love it to this day. Um, had the opportunity to see parts of the country traveling. I was in a musical and I originally went to school full scholarship music performance and then decided that wasn't quite for me. Transferred to a different university and I began to study Mandarin Chinese. And uh, when I graduated, I applied for a job that was a marketing position in mainland China. And I remember it to this day. It was on a Friday afternoon. I sent my application. And the company called me uh, on a Monday, and I was excited. They're actually calling, not even emailing, and said, that position's filled, but we have one account executive position in Las Vegas, Nevada. You live in Las Vegas, Nevada. Would you be interested? And uh, I found out they were really looking to find someone who's more of a hometown uh, person, someone who was used to Las Vegas, lived in the West Coast, and uh, uh, would be less, least likely to want to transfer or leave Las Vegas. Most of the people they hired are from the Midwest, and I always wanted to stay to that section of the country. So uh, instead of China, it was Las Vegas. And I was fortunate enough to work with different contractors and projects uh, up and down the Las Vegas Strip. And uh, it was a great time in my life. Loved it. My parents were retired and lived in Las Vegas at the time. And I loved being involved with teams of people where you're doing something tangible. You're making a difference in something. So uh, the first time I sold an escalator, I remember going down the strip with my parents and we're driving there. And I'm like, Dad, I did that escalator. 
And it's like, yo, you, you put it in. I go, no, I, I didn't actually build or put it in. He's like, well, you designed it. I go, not so much. Not, no. But I was involved selling the escalator for all the other people who did all the work. But I was very happy to be involved with something that uh, I, I felt that I could show my parents and show my father who was a salesperson. This is not what I had a small part of. And uh, from there, I was involved with some other organizations and companies in the HVAC world. Mm-hmm. Went to grad school. Came out of grad school. I had the good fortune to work for a company where I was a general manager, running a couple of divisions for the company. And um, from that opportunity, it, it, it's funny, it segues to where I'm at today. So I remember walking at the AHR show, I think it was 2016. And I heard about this small company that just won the Innovation Award. And uh, at first I was upset because my company had a couple product lines we were submitting and we were really counting with like, Hey, this is the year we're going to get this. But this startup company called AeroSeal won this award. I was like, who the heck is AeroSeal? And I remember walking over to the, their booth and the display and seeing the system and talking to them and learning about it. And uh, I think it's one of those happy coincidences in life because it kind of stuck in the back of my memory about what this company offered and what they did and how passionate they were about their technology. And uh, I find myself fast forwarding, living out of some boxes in Ohio with AeroSeal for one year and uh, very excited to be part of this, uh, this family. Yeah, you're, you're all in. So, so um, I want to go back. You just kind of glossed over majoring in, in Mandarin. I, I, I think most people, you know, at, at your level, usually, you know, marketing or, you know, business or some more traditional major. So where has Mandolin or Mandarin, geez, where has that come into play throughout your career? If at all, how have you been able to utilize that, uh, that background, that degree? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's not the norm. It's yeah. it, funny story of how I even got into Mandarin and, and that I could tell you how I, uh, I've utilized it. I, this was back in the day in college where you either dialed a code in your, in the phone to sign up for your class, or you stood in line with a car. And I remember I was standing in line to study uh, introduction to Japanese and it was a long line. Japanese was far more of a, of a popular language to study back then compared to Mandarin. And then this uh, Chinese lady, the instructor, Edna Joe, she walks over and she says, you, you come with me. And I said, what? But you should take Chinese. And I thought, oh, my God, Mandarin, I think that's even more difficult than Japanese. I'm going to struggle with Japanese. I I don't think so. And she said, if you take my class, I guarantee you minimum C, just show up. I said, you're kidding me. I just have to show up and I get a C. This sounds really good. And I ended up focusing on it for three and a half years because I just loved it. And uh, I love the culture. I love the people. I love the language. And it's been very helpful in my career because especially when I, for example, the the company I work for out of graduate school, um, 70% of our suppliers were from mainland China. And so it does give you an opportunity to one, I understand what the translator is saying. If they don't believe I, or know that I speak Mandarin, I can understand what they're saying. And uh, two, I can actually converse with them. And there's a little bit of, um, uh, I don't want to say a buy-in, but a little bit of a credibility as in they feel, hey, this person took the time to study the language and the culture. And so that helped with supply chain, that helped with negotiations, and that helped with setting up uh, distributors and reps overseas uh, throughout my career. 
Yeah, I thought our listeners were going to be curious about that, so I didn't want to leave them wondering. So thanks for thanks for filling us in on that. So all right, so that brings us to present day. You're at AeroSeal, you're in Ohio. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the company, who you guys are, kind of the background, and, and how you're going to market today. Yes, fascinating story. Um, I like to say that the company started with a man and a dream in his garage, Dr. Mark Madeira. Um, I'm making light of it, but Dr. Mark Madeira, he's an expert in energy performance. He was working at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, and he was trying to find a way due to all of the wasted energy in buildings, commercial and residential, of how he could attack that. How can he address that? Um, he looked at that from an HVAC point of view, and his primary reason was he was trying to find with this energy loss, all these ductworks had gaps and holes and cracks. And looking at energy waste, roughly 40% of our energy is used in buildings. And in that 40%, roughly 35% of energy, a building's energy goes to HVAC. And so his treatise was, all right, how can I address this segment that doesn't seem to be addressed? Uh, ASHRAE did studies that, that had stated that roughly $3 billion a year and 75% of the existing buildings in the United States were wasted by duct. And so Dr. Madeira was at LBNL. He said, okay, how can we address this? And he came out with a technology that was revolutionary to help address this challenge. And uh, it's from that spirit and from what he created that we continue to expand the business, the market, and utilize this technology in the HVAC segment with ESCOs, with new construction, with commercial buildings, uh, residential, uh, both domestic and international. Uh, right now, AeroSeal, we're in over 26 countries. We do roughly 25,000 homes a year, and we have over 1,000 machines globally where our dealer network for residential, commercial, and aero barrier are utilizing our technology to help make a difference for energy savings, improving indoor air quality, and helping projects meet code and spec. And that's part of our go-to-market strategy. But we have four distinct business units at AeroSeal. Uh, I work with the commercial and international segment. Uh, what we do for commercial is we really focus on two factors. Uh, factor one is we have an extensive dealer network that helps us with their projects, commercial construction for those segments I talked about, IAQ, code and spec, energy savings. We also have a, a second factor, our major segment, where we work with ESCOs. So we've worked with a lot of the major ESCOs out there where we, Johnson, Johnson Control, Honeywell, Siemens, uh, Kinstry, the list goes on and on, where we work as a turnkey solutions provider to help them meet payback on the projects. And so the way I think of it for our go-to-market and our value proposition, uh, the technology that we offer for sealing the ductworks from the inside out, it's captivating, it's energy savings, but at the end of the day, we're a turnkey solutions provider that's going to seal, clean, inspect, place, sanitize, basically own the duct, offering a guarantee for their payback models for their projects. Yeah, I would imagine the ESCOs love hearing that word guaranteed, right? That fits right into their uh, their business model. You, you mentioned a couple of uh, ESCOs that you guys are working with, but uh, I, I would also imagine there's some ESCOs out there that maybe haven't heard of you, or maybe you've reached out to and they're like, who, who are you guys, AeroSeal, who's, who's this? Um, so uh, what is the best way that you've been able to, to kind of navigate that, right? Because I'm sure you've been at this role, I think you mentioned 
uh, for about a year now. So how have you been able to, to navigate you know, educating some of these ESCOs on, on who you guys are and, and what you're doing, the value that you're bringing to the marketplace? Yes, absolutely. And it's one of those challenges where there's a lot of different technologies in this space who right. want to get involved in the field. So one thing we try to do is start with the technology. This is a technology that was started at LBNL. U.S. Department of Energy was involved wanting to find a solution for energy waste for buildings, commercial, residential. And so when you have people like Dr. Mark Madeira, people like Abhinav Gupta, when you have people on our team and the technology and how this has been created over the years, um, it really gives you a verifiable, repeatable, sustainable technology. Mm-hmm. So we utilize our energy models to show this is how we calculate everything out. This is how the technology works. This is from cradle to grave of how you hook up a system, how the technology, when the sealant goes in your ducts, we go through every single step that explains it and verifies that with all the background of what this is. And when we do that, this helps to answer some of those questions. Because one of the questions we commonly get is, it sounds too good to be true. Sure. But when you start to give the background, say, well, here's the, here's the pedigree, here's the history. And when you go in depth about this is how the technology works, then they start to understand when they say, all right, well, now you're seeing a payback of on average three to six years. Now it starts to make sense on that ROI of why we guarantee it, why we utilize this technology and feel confident and have been confident with the results we've had thus far. Yeah, and you're, I think you're starting to create a or tell a pretty compelling story there uh, when you start going into it. So, um, no, I, I appreciate that. And, and you mentioned the word a couple of different times here, indoor air quality. I think based on if anyone's listening to this at a later date, it is uh, July 15th. So we're still in the middle of this uh, coronavirus global pandemic. And I got to imagine indoor air quality, IAQ, has got to be at the forefront of a lot of these conversations that you're having, right, Tim? Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, IAQ has become one of those topics. It seems like it wasn't that long ago. It was a nice to have. Right. You know, but let's talk about your payback and let's talk about where you're at with your model. Mm-hmm. Now it's shifting over to obviously more of a priority. Leaky duct work go, go hand in hand with IAQ. Uh, when you talk about your returns, your leaks in the return duct, they allow contaminants to be sucked into the duct system and spread throughout the rest of your facility. Uh, exhaust shafts, leaks in the ventilation shaft, that reduces your exhaust fan effectiveness and sucking dirty and stale air out of the building which can lead to mold and mildew. And in today's world, mold and mildew, that's, that's the least of your concerns, like you mentioned with COVID-19. Um, right. You know, obviously, the, the, the stance you've heard from ASHRAE is officially uh, responding to that for guidance is you want to run your outside air 100%. You want to flush your HVAC system before occupancy at least two hours, operate your exhaust fans, um, proper maintenance and prepare for reoccupancy if that's if your building has been empty. But um, really, when it comes to thinking about infectious disease transmission, when you're talking about inadequate ventilation, mm-hmm. uh, this is where duct leakage is in a unique position. You, you hear a lot of conversations about some very good technologies out there, uh, filtration, lighting, bipolar ionization. Um, what duct leakage, when you think about it, think of when you have in your room uh, let's say you have a contaminated room and the air comes out to your returns. Uh, it's all about dilution. 
And if you have duct work that is 10, 15% leakage, you're not really, besides having your systems effectively operate the way they were designed and meant to, you're not having uh, the proper sealing is not allowing you to really get the circulation you need. Sealing up that 10 to 15% helps you with recirculation. It's helping you dilute the air that's circulating around with your ventilation. And it's really one of the, the tactics that we've been talking to a lot of building owners, a lot of designers of now more than ever, you want to be cognizant of how to keep the freshest, cleanest air possible uh, transmitting throughout your entire building. Right, right. And you may have already answered this, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, I always like asking the guests that come on the show, like kind of where they see the industry going, right? So polish off your crystal ball, like look into the future. You know, when you start thinking energy savings, performance contract, you're just overall energy building efficiency industry that we're in. Where do you see the industry going, Tim? And, and how do you see AeroSeal positioned to kind of capitalize and, and run alongside that vision? Yes, absolutely. One of the things I've noticed is it's such a competitive industry. I mean, that's self-evident. And you have so many talented people, very experienced people in this industry who are always looking for ways to get improvements and help the owners and the projects they're trying to fulfill the goals with. And so what really happens, it's a, I think it's a technical business term my nine-year-old daughter says, which is FOMO, fear of missing out. Sure. And what happens is we deal with uh, some of the ESCOs who are saying, hey, you know, we're a technology being used now a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth time, some of these major ESCOs. So some of the ESCOs who may have heard of us, but maybe haven't used us, maybe they've accepted our models internally, their specifications, but maybe they've only used us once or twice, or they haven't even used us at all yet. Now that we continue penetrating our market with AeroSeal, we start to see ourselves expanding more and more and becoming more of the standard for HVAC applications. And for the market itself overall, removing AeroSeal from that, but just looking at ESCOs in general, I think you're going to continue to see a lot of people looking at different technologies that will start to shift from, okay, this is, if it's, if it's proven, if it's verifiable, if it's, it's guaranteed, that's going to start getting more and more into their standard playbook. And I think you're going to start to see a lot of people especially with depending on the kilowatt rates per state, depending on the political atmosphere with funding and what you're at and what state you live in, I think you're going to see a lot of efficiencies get more effective and more widespread and, quite frankly, more of the conversation pieces and accepted by the culture and society. It wasn't that many years ago if you talked to new construction and mentioned the lead, people thought, what is this? this mm-hmm. And now it's almost a standard. Uh, passive homes, passive homes were kind of in real niche and that's kind of cool but now more and more of a conversation about how to be more efficient effective with your space with your house and i think you're going to see that with commercial construction one of the things that always appealed to me i thought of interest with commercial construction is um, i think less than one percent of buildings are larger than two hundred thousand square feet but they account for roughly 25 percent of the total commercial building energy consumption that's an amazing stat, less than one, but a quarter. And when you have so many existing buildings with the average lifespan, 75 years, you have a wide array of buildings with these new technologies that we're just starting to just reach. And I think you're going to see that expand more and more from the would like to, to the must-haves and more of a standard across the board. 
Yeah, I think we all have a little bit of FOMO from time to time. So uh, we'll, we'll cut we'll cut everyone a break on that. Um, well, good. No, I, I appreciate you sharing on that with us. And, and what I wanted to do here, Tim, was just transition to the last part of the show. These are the same four questions that I ask to every guest who comes on. And I wanted to start off here and ask you, what are your daily non-negotiables? Yeah, that's a powerful word, non-negotiables. Um, usually I categorize things two ways personal and then business. Um, it may sound simplistic, but personal for me, sleep. I try to at least get seven hours of sleep a night if I can, six at a minimum, but seven's the goal. Try to laugh once a day if I can at something silly or funny, you know, so if I can laugh and get, get my sleep. And then with my family, just be able to listen to their day, you know, be engaged and listen. Um, those are my key priorities. Business-wise, it really do, dwells out into two different things. Um, one, it's about my non-negotiables every day, giving a culture or an area for my teams to understand that we're having open honesty and trust. You know, we're talking about creation. We're talking about ownership and trying to create that environment that's fun and try to make it where people feel safe enough to really talk about the challenges they're facing and being honest. And so if I can remind myself every day of you're trying to build a thing of trust, reinforcing trust, expanding trust, but really open and honesty, uh, doing those types of things, that's a non-negotiable. Everything else becomes easy if you can start from that, in my opinion. If you don't start from that, you don't have a team, you don't have a business. My and you have a wasted day. So those are the keys. Yeah, and you mentioned they were simple, at least on the personal side, but that doesn't mean they're easy, right? Usually the best solutions are simple, but uh, not always the easiest to implement. I think we'd all love to get more sleep, but uh, there's a lot of things that get in the way of that. So uh, I completely hear you on that. And uh, Tim, for the next question, rewind the clock back. You're graduating from college. You got your degree in Mandarin. What advice would you give to your 22-year-old self? <laughs> Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Because it's really cool to say, you know, I would write a letter. Sometimes you hear people, I write a letter. It depends. Do I show up in a time machine like a DeLorean? I pop out, I see the 22-year-old version of me. That would be different. Uh, I love that movie. So we can go with that reference. Yes. You're already I, fly in the DeLorean, man. You're hopping out. <laughs> I pop out. I'm like, listen, here's a couple things. Uh, before I get deep buy Apple, buy Amazon, here's, a, here's some <laughs> stocks to buy. Right. And then I look at me and I'm like, man, you got to get in shape, 22. But I think really it would come down to um, thinking of legacy. I would think of really, uh, I don't think of accomplishments. I really think about what have I done for others? Um, I always thought of like achievement, success, and legacy. Achievement is something, I think John Maxwell said this, where what have you achieved for yourself? right? Success is really, what have you done with the followers, the team, and what great things have you done for them? I always thought of legacy as something you create, and it's by putting people in a position to do great things. So if that's in my personal life, what have I done to help support my family, to put them in a position to do great things? And if it's in my business life, what have I done with my team to put them in that type of position to be successful, to be fulfilled, and to be happy? That's really a legacy. I don't really think of the accomplishments. It's nice, and that gets into motivation a little bit. But uh, 
I really think of accomplishing things for people as the ultimate. Yeah, sure. So you touched on it. What motivates you, Tim? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, you know, I don't know if anyone has one thing. Uh, extrinsically, career, recognition, working hard, all those things are important. Uh, intrinsically, it's really my sense of purpose, helping people, growing, achieving goals. I think all of those things of growing and experiencing life ties into my family. Mm-hmm. So it's really tying into being the best person I could be all the time, as often as I can, as consistent as I can, to be that representation of a husband, a father, a coworker, a team member, a leader. And I think the key to that is just trying to find those experiences with that consistency. Uh, I do like nice things and rewards and values, but those only last for so long. So I really find the fulfillment with what did my team accomplish together? And we didn't think we could do it, but we didn't give up and we tried and we achieved it. That's really how I see uh, what gets me out of bed and gets me excited and motivated. All right, Tim, last question here. As we close things out, where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? Five to 10 years. That's a very simple question to answer when you're in your 20s. But when you get a little bit older, it's not as difficult. But it, really, I see everything with AeroSeal, I mean, business-wise, I see AeroSeal becoming more and more accepted. Um, I know that sounds a little bit of a, a generic because I work for AeroSeal. I'm the VP of sales. But we have such an amazing technology. And we have such an amazing group of people. Um, if you were at our company headquarters, if you talked with our people, it's infectious with what we're doing. And I'm excited to see in the next five to 10 years, the journey of our company as we continue to expand, continue to grow, continue to help people solve problems, whether it's residential or commercial with ESCOs or arrow barrier. And I think five years, 10 years from now, uh, I think I'll be very fortunate to be a member of a very strong team that has really turned AeroSeal from one of the most amazing technologies that's a niche and growing to something that's more of a standard and actually making an impact in people's lives and the environment to help the world. I think that's a great way to wrap up the show. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. All right, there you have it. Episode nine with Tim Burnett. Had a great time sitting down with Tim and I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. And we hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well if you're finding value in this content. And one last thing, if you have ideas for future guests from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.